That was pretty weak. Good evening. Getting a little better. So, all right. Well, I'm glad you chose to come back this evening. Uh, those who didn't chose to come back must have uh, already known what the church was. and didn't need to come back. But anyhow, we're going to talk about the church. I told you this morning the question was, what is the church? And so I gave you a little handout, give you some information about the church. And you probably already know. You probably said, well, Brother Kier, we know what the church is. You already told us that or we knew that before. That's not the building. It's people, right? Let's dig into it, and let's just look and see what the, what the church consists of, all right? The church is the community of all true believers for all time, not just the ones in the present, not the ones in the future, but it, the Bible talks about all true believers for all time, and that's from the beginning of time throughout eternity, all true believers. That is, the church is made up of all men and women who have been who are and ever will be true believers of Jesus Christ. And well, Christ didn't die for those people before he was here, did he? Well, let's just, let's just look heavier at that and see what the Word says about that. When Paul wrote in Ephesians 5.25 that Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, he was referring to all people that Christ died for, past, present, and future is what he's talking about. All, right? all those that looked to God for their salvation before Christ was even on this earth. Now, Jesus said that he would build his church. We know that because that's in Matthew. He says, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build my church on a rock. Jesus is talking about building a church, but he's talking about calling people to himself. That's what he's talking about. I'm going to build my church. The congregation is going to become the church. I'm going to draw people to myself, and that's how we're going to build the church. So let's look at the invisible church and the visible church, because there's two different types of church. One the way God looks at it, and the one way people look at it. All right, so let's look at it together. The invisible yet visible church. Because we cannot see spiritual condition of a person's heart, that is an individual personal relationship. We don't know what's in people's heart. Only God can tell what's in the heart. When people make a, a, a profession of faith, it is between them and God. We can't see that, what's in a person's heart the true church in its spiritual reality as the fellowship of all believers is invisible. So we don't know about the person's heart. You know, there's a lot of people that claim to be part of the church that, that don't know Jesus Christ. All right. But that's called the invisible part of the church. Only God can see the condition of a person's heart. Now we look in Second Timothy chapter 2 verse 19. Paul says this. The Lord knows those who are his. He knows those who are his. He's called people to himself. He said, I'm going to build my church. He knows those people who are his, all right? So that's what he's talking about in Timothy. Therefore, the invisible church is the church that God, as God, sees it. But the church is also visible. Now, it's an invisible church because God sees the heart. He's the only one that can see the heart. But yet it is also visible because of what other people see in the people of the church, all right? The invisible church is the church of God as he sees it, but the visible aspect of the church, the visible church is the church as Christians on this earth see it. <coughs> what we see about church, when people say, I'm going to church, or that's the church down there on, on Lower Hawthorne Trail, you know, th what do they see when they talk about this church? What do people see when they talk about Pine Hill Baptist Church? What, are they, what is the impression that they get? Those people can really cook, right? <laughs> but they can. 
All right? But what do they see? Do they see the different aspects of the church? Do they see the church as an inviting church? Do they see the church as a receptive church? Do they see it as a loving church? Do they see it as a church that's an outreach church? Do they see it as a church that sends people out into the mission field? Do they see it as a church that supports the Great Commission? Do they see it as a church that operates within the sacraments, that that has the Lord's Supper, that has baptism. Is that what they see? And that's what we we really want them to see. That's the visible church, all right? Description of the church. Let's look at this because when I talk to you, you say, well, okay, the church is not the building, it's the people. And that's what people always want to say. The church is not the, the, but but it has more to do with that. It has more to do with just people, all right? Because there, how many people are on Friday nights at the football stadium in Cairo High School? A bunch. Is that a church? There's people there. You know, what about the, the Georgia, the FSU stadium on Saturday, you know, during football season? Is that a church? You know, there's people there. Well, you, you just said the church is a people, not the building. Let's just look deep into it. In the New Testament, the word church is used to describe different types of groups of believers. So there, I gave you some examples of that. So if you look in Romans 16:5 and 1 Corinthians 16:19, it refers to the church as a small house church. That's what it talks about, a small house church. 1 Corinthians 1, 2, and then 2 Corinthians 1, 1. The church is an entire city. It's an entire city. It goes on. Acts 9.31. The church is an entire region. Ephesians 5.25. The church throughout the entire world. Well, let's just think about it. We just said, but, but remember the part I said. It's about true believers that make up the church. All right? Therefore, a community of God's people at any level and rightly, is rightly called a church. A variety of metaphors. Now, these are just metaphors all right, are also used to describe the church. One group of metaphors suggests that the church is a family. Amen? Amen. The church is a family. Man, we eat together because we're a family, right? Huh? The church is a family. It's my church family. You know, I have my, my biological family. I have uh, people that I call family because they're close as a brother. They're close as a sister. They, they, they act like my father or my mother. But then I have my church family. We refer to them as a family. And the members of the church relate to one another as members of a large family or as a large family does. They relate the same way. Another common image of the church is that it is of a body, a church body, Right? All right, that's in the scriptures, 1 Corinthians 12. Paul refers to the members of the church as members of how many bodies? One body. We're all part of one body. And who's the head of the body? Jesus Christ. All right, so one body is what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 12. One body. Members have their own spiritual functions, their own special functions. They have their own responsibilities, just like the different parts of the body does. The arms, the feet, the hands, the legs, the eyes, the ears, they all have individual functions just like the church does. The church body has different functions, yet it is still one body. In Ephesians 1, 22, all right, Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, and in Colossians 2, 19, the church is referred to as the, as the body with Christ at the head, holding the entire body together and equipping every part to work as it should. So that's what makes the, the brain controls, the head controls. The brain tells every hand to move. It tells every finger to close. It tells every eye to blink, all right? So it's controlling every single thing. So let's move on. What makes up the church a church, and what makes the church a church? 
when we're going to set this thing up, when, when the final thing is said and done, what makes the church a church? Let's look at it. Let me ask you some questions. I got you some here. If a group of people meet together to discuss spiritual things, does that make them a church? Yes or no? Okay. What if they do, what if they do so in a church building as opposed to in a coffee shop? What if in addition to the discussion, they sing and pray together? Mm. What if they add Bible reading to their study time? What activities make a church a church? That's the bottom line question. So let's move on into this. There are two major activities that every church must exhibit in order to truly considered to be a church. Let's look at those two things. Now, this is what the Scripture tells us, all right? The first, the correct preaching from the Bible. Anybody disagree with that? Correct preaching from the Bible. Correct expository preaching of God's Word. The, the opening up of God's Word correctly, the way it should be done. That's number one. That's what makes a church. Now, you said, well, I do that on my small group at my house. Let's just look at it a little bit further. The mark has less to do with the form of the sermon than with the content of the sermon. It doesn't matter how you like the preacher, his delivery, what you think about him or, or how he delivers himself or he's too loud, he's not loud enough, he doesn't dress right, he don't wear a tie, he does wear a tie. It doesn't matter about the sermon as much as it does the content. Amen? It's all about the message. The, the messenger is not the, the one that you're focused on. It's the message. All right? False, false preaching, that's what we were talking about. False doctrine, someone who stands up and, and preaches false doctrine, that does not make them a church, all right? If the sermon in the church continually contains false doctrine or conceal the true gospel message of salvation by faith alone, then the church is which, which these sermons are preached is not a true church. Second, here's the other thing. Now, these are the two things that mark a church. The second mark of a true church is that correct administration of the sacraments or the ordinances. This is the other mark, and that is baptisms and the Lord's Supper. Now, does, is Pine Hill Baptist Church a church? Is it a true church? Amen. All right. That gives me a, that means you, you like the preaching. Come on, y'all got to lighten up just a little bit. All right. All right. Well, maybe you don't like it, you're afraid to say all right. Once an organization begins to practice baptism and the Lord's Supper in a biblical way, then the organization functions at a church. Now, this is what's important. We want to be a church or do we want to function as a church? All right. We want to call ourselves a church or do we want to function as a church? Do we want to invite people to church or we want to invite them to a functioning church? And I kind of emphasize that word. Y'all pick up on that? All right, all right. In order to be a church, the organization should attempt to function as a church rather than just encouraging members to become part of the church. You don't want to just come to church and sit in the pew. You don't want to just come to church and say, well, I didn't get nothing out of that today. You want to be part of the church. You want to function as a church. Every part, every person that comes in the church, that is a true believer. Now, when, when we're not a true believer, it's hard to function with anything. But when, every true believer should function as part of the church. And it's what, what did you bring to church? You know, when you come into the worship service, what did you bring with you? Did you come expecting to get something or were you bringing something? You don't want to get something, but certainly God wants us to bring something. He wants us to bring a receptive what? 
I want to bring a receptive heart. He wants to bring an open mind, a willingness to learn, someone that's obedient, that want to draw something in, want to be a sponge. I want to hear what the gospel is today. I want to hear what the message is. I want to apply it to my life. I want to put it into action. All right? All right. The purity of the church is determined by the degree of freedom from wrong doctrine and conduct and the degree that conforms to God's will for the church. All right? So that's what makes the church pure. How far away from you are from the wrong doctrine and how close and how accurate you are to God's will for the church. All right? Christ's goal for the church is found in Ephesians 5, 26 and 27. I'm pretty sure I put that on your handout. Okay? All right. Ephesians 5, 26, 7 says this. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot, wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. That sounds like the church. All right. Therefore, as members of the church, we should pursue purity. We should pursue to being pure and being exactly what God wants us to be to the best of our ability. Now, the other thing is we should pursue unity. Unity is something that's so important with the church. We have to be unified as a body of true believers. That is the freedom from division among true Christians to the best of our ability. We're all people. We're all humans. We all have different uh, emotions. We all have different attitudes. We all have different uh, conflicts. But we should be pursuing unity, okay? We should be pursuing unity because God wants us to be unified as his church, all right? Now, when we do this, right, we are falling in line with what Jesus said in his prayer in John 17, 21. This is, this is Jesus' prayer all of chapter of John 17 is Jesus praying. Jesus praying for himself. Jesus praying for the disciples. And Jesus praying for you and for me. All the people that followed from their point on. In John 17, 21, for future believers, he said this, that they may all be one. Not that they'd be divided. Not that they'd be in friction. Not that they'd be in conflict. But they would all be one. That's what Christ wants for us. For us all to be one. All right. So what is the church supposed to do? Let's look at this. The church is supposed to do this. The church is a ministry. All right. The, the church is first supposed to minister to God. Well, God doesn't need to be ministered to. Does he, Brother Kerry? I mean, he's the ultimate. Why should we be ministered to him? The Bible tells us that we should glorify the Father, that we should worship him. Worship is our number one priority as being a church body. But we should minister to God through worship. We should minister to the members to the congregation, and we should minister to the world. That's why we send out missionaries. That's why people go on the mission field, because we're ministering to the world. Well, we can't, at Pine Hill, we can't touch the world, can we? You're touching the world now. You realize that? We're part of the cooperative program, right? And that where your, your prayers go, and that what we're praying for, and we're supporting Lottie Moon, we're supporting Annie Armstrong, we're supporting our independent missionaries, and we're supporting international missionaries. We're supporting the world. We're praying for the world. We're supporting the world. We're trying to minister to the world. Ministry to God is done through worshiping Him. In Colossians 3.16, Paul encourages the church to, he says here, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. We do that every Sunday, every Wednesday. Or, well, we, we don't do them on Wednesday, do we? We don't sing songs on Wednesday, do we? We want to start leading some songs. No? Going to sing some songs? We sing them on Sundays, all right? 
But it says here, that's what he says. Sing songs thankful in your hearts to God. Worship in the church is not merely a preparation for something else. It in itself is fulfillment of the major purpose of the church. Major, major function of the church is to worship the Father, all right, whose members were created to live for praise and his glory. All right. The ministry of the church is done through preaching the gospel to all people in the word and in action, which means preaching of the word in clarity and then putting that word into action into each of our lives. It's not something that's stagnant, all right? Matthew 28, 19, Jesus said this. Jesus commands his disciples to make disciples of all nations. We, I read that this morning. Same thing in Acts 1, 8. The disciples were told to spread the gospel message to the ends of the earth, not just to keep it to themselves. Go make disciples. Spread the gospel, all right? Every church should wholeheartedly seek to this. Worship God. There's no question about that. And we come in this sanctuary, we're, we're here to worship God, to build members to maturity. Have we ever talked about growing relationships? Man, that's what we do in, in Sunday school. That's what we're doing on Wednesday nights. That's what we're doing on vacation Bible school. That's what we're doing on Sunday evenings. It's growing relationships. It's taking members to maturity. And we talk about that going from a spiritual infant all the way to a spiritual parent. Those are parts of what we're talking about, building the members to maturity. Preach the good news of the gospel to the world, all right? The church, power to fulfill the mission. Here's where it comes in. You know this is coming to be the, the Holy Spirit, all right? When Christ promised to build his church, he gave the disciples the authority to do so. He gave them the authority to do that. And when he left them, he sent the Holy Spirit to empower them to build it. The Holy Spirit empowers each of the followers of Jesus with these spiritual gifts required to do the ministry of the church. And the Holy Spirit empowers us to use these gifts to continue the ministry of the church today. He'll be with us to the ends of the age. That's what he told us. So the ministry of the church will continue until God calls us home or he comes and gets this church to himself. All right. So I got just four questions to finish up with. All right, questions for Rhea. Why should Christians become members of the church? Why, why should they come, become members of the church? Do not forsake the assembling of thyself. Okay. Okay. What else? Anybody? Why do you think people, why, why should we encourage people to, to join the church? Helps grow relationships, strengthen faith. Become fam a part of the family. Yeah. Walking together. Anybody else? To bring others to Jesus. Because at the church you go out and find that they're lost. Absolutely. It's good, ain't all of them good. Anybody else? It's part of that one body thing. We're all supposed to be one body. There you go. And so well I can be I can come to church, but I have to be a member. You know, you got so many regulations to being a member. I got to be baptized. I got to make a public profession of faith. Isn't that right? Now, those are just ordinances, right? We want to be part of the church. We want to get plugged in. We want to serve. We want to be part of the fellowship. We want to grow in a relationship with other people. We want to grow in a relationship with the Father. That's part of being a membership. I mean, when you join a membership, something. I mean, when you go off to college, you join a fraternity. Why do you join a fraternity? 
You want to be part of something. You want to be part of something that makes a difference. Not that all fraternities make a difference, right? I, that was probably not a good example. Can I get another example from somebody else? I was just thinking about it, you know. All right. All right. What are some of the dangers of not becoming a member of a church? Or so. Okay. It'd just be in a kind of a, a temporary thing. I just Isolation. Do you feel better to be committed to something or not committed to something? Doesn't it make you feel better to be committed to something, doesn't it? All right. You have more accountability. Get checked a lot. All right. What are some of the things the church is supposed to do? Share share the gospel outside these four walls. Huh? Encourage, minister to others. Say again. Meet the needs. We got a lot of needs, don't we, William? Huh? Help people grow in their relationship. That's things we're supposed to do. What are the two things the church has to do to be a church? Oh, go back to page one. Have we had the Lord's Supper since I've been here? Yes. We have baptism? Yes. Quite frequently. Thank the Lord. What's that? Quite frequently. Thank the Lord. All right. That was just, I was just looking for a little support. All right. A little encouragement. All right. Last one. Can you, can you name some examples of how the Holy Spirit's work is empowering and blessing the things in your own church? Vacation Bible School. People coming to know the Lord. The Lord working, the Holy Spirit working, the church working like it's supposed to be working. Isn't that amazing? Because Patty tells me that a lot. Because honestly, I don't go to Sunday school. I don't study a Sunday school lesson. But then when I preach, I also don't share the message with Patty. Because she said, I don't want to hear it twice. I don't know why she don't want to hear it twice. All right? But she said it. She said, don't. I want to wait and hear it at the church. So I can't share it with her. But then after the service, she'll say, you know, that's what our Sunday school lesson was on. You know, we talked about that last week. or we, That's what our lesson was on because God leads you in that direction. It seems like, just like you said, it's like Williams Wednesday night, same thing. It just kind of seems to line up the way God leads it. So, all right, anybody else? Some ways you see the Holy Spirit empowering and blessing the things of Pine Hill Baptist Church. Well, that's a good one. 
Kelly. Yep. Yes. Sister Kelly. <laughs> Sister Kathy. Yep. Spiritual growth. I mean, yeah, we see it for significant amount of spiritual growth. All right. Any other? Empowering a blessing. Let me tell y'all something. Did y'all know that Friday when we had the closing ceremonies, I got sick. I had to ease out because I was getting sick. Before we could get home, man, Patty was driving me home. I'm thinking, it's a long way to our house. And I was sick. By Friday night, I was bad off sick. I texted the deacons. I said, y'all get ready for Sunday because y'all preaching Sunday. And then uh, by yesterday at lunch, I felt fine. I'm thinking, this wasn't so bad. So, it's only by the grace of God that, that I could speak today. So, but that's the way he works. So, I cheated Jason and some of those others out of preaching today. All right, anything else before we go into our business meeting? All righty.